Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my partner, Hari. Hello. This is the part two of Disney. I'm glad you guys are able to join us today. Uh, in this episode, we will talk about the financials of Disney. We will talk about in detail their four segments, their media, park, studio, and streaming services. We'll talk in detail about that. If you haven't checked out our part one, where we go into detail about their competitive advantage and why they have a pretty solid competitive advantage and what those are, what kind of competitive advantage they have, please check out our part one to learn more about that. In this episode, as I mentioned, we will dig into the financials. All right. Before we begin, please already give us the quick disclaimer. Yeah, this is the Value Investor TV podcast. We are the podcast that helps you understand the concepts behind uh, value investing. We don't know your specific financial situation, nor um, are we um, your financial advisor. So please consult with the appropriate advisor before making any financial decisions. Awesome. Just a couple of housekeeping items that I want to mention to you guys is number one, we always welcome any suggestions on what we should cover in our podcast. Disney is one of those companies that came through our through our email. So if you guys have a recommendation, suggestion on what we should cover, what kind of topics, what kind of companies that we should cover, please email us at info at valueinvestor.org. Number two, as we always do with analysis, we go through a checklist to adhere to our discipline. And if you would like access to our checklist, please email us again at info at valueinvestor.org. And just lastly, we have a Slack channel where we open up, uh, where we open up to the community to join and talk to us directly. Uh, so if you'd like access to, access to our Slack community, also email us at info at valueinvestor.org. Okay, let's get started, Hari. So the financials, uh, how should we do this? Should we go down the checklist, at least the top three questions? So, uh, so actually, I'm not. I'm, we're going to deviate from the checklist. Um, you know, there. I think one of the hardest things that people face when they they take up the investing uh, game is that they have to understand financials, and you know, if you're not coming from a math oriented background, you may think that financials, accounting, things like that are very complicated. And, you know, there, there's no doubt that they can get very complicated, but, um, you know, I, I wanted to focus more on the financial aspects of Disney because, I mean, to be honest with you, this company, you know, the spoiler alert here is that they're very expensive for what they do. Um, and you know, it's a $200 billion company and, you know, they generate about $10 billion in, um, cash flow. So, you know, it ain't cheap. And they're not growing fast enough to make it worth your while. So rather than than waste time on on this aspect of it, I wanted to actually delve, you know, to make this educationally interesting for people, um, is to kind of talk about the the income statement and and kind of combine that with the moat. And you know, and and looking at these various lines of business so that we can start thinking about the future, right? So why is this so important? Well, we haven't done this before on the podcast, but you know, 
when we look at a business and we're trying to forecast what things are going to look like, Disney almost operates into four different separate companies, right? And they operate, these operating segments are things that we covered in the previous episode, which are um, the the media business, which covers their their TV and channel, you know, TV, cable networks, things like that. Their parks and uh, entertainment business. Um, and then the other, the last two are the studio, uh, you know, movie distribution, and then their direct to consumer and international business line. So, so Disney actually does a really good job. And if you're learning, uh, or having a lot of trouble understanding, um, the financials, a good place to start is sometimes a big corporation can actually be easier to understand, especially if you're familiar with their business, right? So Disney is, is not a very complex business in and of itself. It's their scope that makes them complex, right? Because they operate in so many different areas. But I, I wanted to actually go through the income statement and then go through the breakdown of the income statement so that you can kind of see how these things piece together, right? And and my goal for this is is not... So much that, you know, you know, you, you can just kind of understand how operating leverage works, right? Because this is a big component of, of understanding you invest in something and then you expect future returns from that investment. And then when you look at a business that's starting to fail, slowly fail, which is their media networks business, you're doing the reverse, right? They're operating deleveraging at this point, right? So their their media network business is very, very profitable. But in the future, as they start losing subscribers, they can't just raise prices to kind of offset it. And eventually there will be a tipping point at which point it's no longer making as much money, right? And 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 that could be come very quickly. Right? So as a shareholder of a potential business, you have to start being able to understand how that looks. So a great, great example of this is actually something that we already talked about, which is Skechers, right? And Skechers invested into the Chinese market and other areas, and you saw their current income decrease, and it looked like their growth was not as good, even though their revenue continued to grow. And people were saying, well, it's low margin growth and so forth. But if you actually understood what was going on in the business, they were spending a lot of money to ramp up in areas that were super popular like China um, and and Southeast Asia and so on. So Disney is, is actually going in the reverse direction. You know, they they bought all these media networks. They have a lot of interesting markets that have kind of expanded. They just bought Fox. They've, they've integrating, are integrating Fox. But the media side of the house, which generates about a third of their revenue, is going to slowly decline as people cut the cord. It won't ever go to zero, but it'll never, you know, it's probably going to peak at some point if it hasn't already. So let me let me start with this, you know, to, to look at the, you know, because Disney is still a very large corporation. Um, but I, I want to kind of walk you through this as this is not a growing business, as as some people think. And you know, it, it, the, you know, when you make movies, it's kind of a, you know, crapshoot how much money you're going to make. Now, Disney is pretty good about, you know, making that stable, but, you know, they released a bunch of Marvel movies. They all made a lot of money. And then the, the subsequent years, they may not make as much because they don't have these blockbusters that are coming out. And so learning that and seeing this lumpiness to their business, where they have parts that are lumpy and that parts that are not, it's kind of an interesting picture to kind of help you understand, you know, one, you should never be using year to year changes. You should be looking at them as averages, right? 
And, and that kind of illustrates a lot of this when you go through it. So, so Becco, does that sound good to you? You understand what I'm, yeah. what I'm going for here? Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me just try to summarize that really quick for our listeners here. Um, so again, we're kind of taking an unconventional route here, but, um, basically we want to look at four businesses, right? And especially we want to kind of give a lot of attention to the dying one, kind of the one that is kind of needs to be phased out a little bit in a very skillful way, which is the media business. And we probably are seeing already the effects of it happening. Um, and so we need to kind of look more into detail as to how these sub segments are doing individually and how the, the, the skillful transition can happen in the, for the future. So yeah, back, back to you, Hari, uh, you can take it away. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about, um, revenue as a whole, um, in 2017, 46, um, was 55 billion, um, 2018, 59 billion. And then in 2019, it was 69 billion. So this big jump was actually because of the Fox acquisition and the integration of their assets, right? So what you actually saw there was a fairly small jump of $4 billion between 2017 and 2018. And then it went up by 10 billion, but how much of that was Fox? How much of that was the existing, you know, business line, right? Um, and that's that's kind of an interesting, you know, thing that you have here because as they've acquired this business, things start to muddy up the waters here because they, they had a fairly significant acquisition. So the important part of this, though, is obviously not how much you make, but how much you keep. Um, and their services business were was around twenty five billion a cost was twenty five billion, then twenty seven billion, and then it jumped up to thirty six billion. Um, so you know, it, it their revenue went up by ten billion, but their their costs went up by nine billion, right? And so then you start looking at their their other segments and their services total expenses went from 41 billion to 44 billion to 57 billion uh, of 2017 to 2019. So, and, and as a result that because they had to buy, they had to uh, accumulate a lot of debt to get Fox, their interest expense also doubled from 570 million to 980 million. Um, so what all of that means is that their net income dropped, even though when, when they acquired Fox from 13 billion to 10.9 billion. And, and the bigger loss here is also their share count increased from 1.5 billion shares to 1.66 billion shares. So not only as a shareholder, the acquisition of Fox diluted shares, you took on a lot of debt, which is going to have to pay expenses over time in, in the form of interest, and you own less of the company, right? This is the reverse of what any shareholder wants, right? They want... Um, earnings per share to go up, um, regardless of how it happens, if it's growth or if it's by the reduction of share count. Uh, so, so they did have some legacy growth, but costs increased by 32% um, due to consolidation of uh, Fox and Hulu. Um, and they had increased costs of the, at the legacy operations as well. Um, you know, an interest expense increased by 70%, you know, year over year. So, you know, when you look at it, um, you give up a, a significant portion of that just by taking on all of this debt. And when we look at their balance sheet, 
what we're going to see is that they had a fairly significant, you know, they had, they had a manageable debt load and now it's, you know, um, it's larger than our three times free cash flow that we would like to have. So, yeah, maybe I can just maybe add a couple of comments here, which is that, you know, it looks like, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Hari, they took on a lot of debt to cover for the acquisition, but not only debt, they, they had to issue additional shares to, to raise funds to swallow up Fox and Hulu, right? Correct. And, it, you know, obviously you want the right mixture of, of debt and equity in order to buy, you know, if you want to do an acquisition, you want the right mixture because if you want to just, you know, completely do away with with the equity and just focus on debt, I mean, that could also cause problems. It can cause pro- problem other way around as well, right? If the stock price is high, you might want you might want to take advantage of that and raise equity so you can you know you know get get money at a at a you know at a at a cheaper cost. Um, so just kind of adding a little bit nuance to share increase, yes, bad, but at the same time, if the price is right, then it can be actually a good thing to raise money at a at a very very high valuation for the company. Sure. <clears throat> and I, I think in general, this was well received by the by Wall Street, right? But just because Wall Street says something is good doesn't mean it's actually good. Um, okay, so now we're actually going to look at the breakdown of each individual segment of their business and talk a little bit about that. So the media segment, um, I want you to remember these numbers and I'll, I'll actually, what I'll do is I'll talk about each segment and then talk about the breakdown of each segment as to why those things increased or decreased. Um, so in 2017, $21.2 billion in media, in the media segment, 21.9 in 2018, and then 24.8 in 2019. Now that sounds like it's growing, right? Um, but remember they had, they acquired, um, they acquired Fox, um, their subscriber loss was negative 2.5% in loss in fees, but they decreased the number of, um, members by 9%. So they had a subscriber loss of 9%, but only, but by increasing the cost, you know, the, the chart, the price that they charged, they were able to offset it by, you know, only a negative two and a half percent loss. So, I mean, you've probably seen it. If you own a, have a cable bill, cable bill went up, even though they're, um, the cable, uh, you know, they, they, you know, you didn't do anything. They didn't add any services. You're just paying more now. Um, and, you know, most of the of the increase came in affiliate fees was one point five billion dollars, only a, a four hundred million increase in ads. So so what we're seeing is they're charging more for the ads across a larger spectrum of things. Um, but really, they're you know, they have more places to show those ads. So I don't think on a per ad basis, I think they're actually about flat. And then, um, you know, streaming and uh, TV uh, fees went up, you know, by a billion dollars. So, but again, a lot of that is due to Fox. Um, all right. So we're, we're going to go look at, um, the theme parks, um, because I think this is going to be, you know, a good contrast in, you know, in their, uh, model. Um, so admissions at theme parks went up from 7.1 billion to seven and a half billion merchandising and food went up from 5.6 to 5.9. Uh, vacation resorts went up from 5.9 to 6.2 merchandising 4.2 to 4.5 parks and leasing went up from 1.6 to 1.9. So 
totaling up 24.7 billion to 26.2 billion. So this is a 69 billion dollar total revenue. The parks section segment is now their largest business unit. Um but here is here is really the interesting thing about this to me is their operating expense to run the parks this segment of the business is 14 billion dollars so 26.2 billion dollars 14 billion in expenses so if you look at that the park admission and the food is about 13 and a half billion dollars right so they essentially bring people to the park sell them food and the only way that they're actually making money off of it is actually the resort and the vacation right so they're basically running it at a at a, a break even cost yeah, yeah and then they, they they bring you in and as long as you stay in the hotel and buy merchandise that's how they make money right so it, it is a very interesting kind of setup right is that they've where are they they making their money here well they're making their money by getting you to the park and then once you're at the park well you're not going to not spend money you know you have no other place to buy food and things like that um so you end up spending it's easier if you stay at the hotel so they incentivize people to stay at their hotels and then they incentivize them to buy food because it's just more you're on vacation it's much nicer to buy it there right so but the other component of this is their depreciation is very high as you would expect this is a very heavy asset uh business right so the operating expenses was 14 billion and then they have SGNA of of 3 billion. So their operating income you know they they've spent essentially 20 billion dollars in expenses to get you 6.7 billion dollars in operating income. Is essentially what this all boils down to. Um so you know it's not a super high margin business in that sense because they have a lot of employees, they have a lot of people that have to you know do make this all work. Right? But as we were talking about, if we were the CEO of Disney, right, the streaming services, all of this stuff is essentially to get people to come to the park so that they can spend money at the park. And that's when they have high margin, you know, you know, the merchandising and things like that is where they're really making their money. Interesting. So I think this is interesting when we think about, again, kind of piggybacking on your point there all this kind of media business, right? It's a dying business, but at the same time, it's, it is how people learn about, it is how people learn about Disney. You know, that's how they encounter it for the first time. And you get, you know, kids hooked on it, et cetera, et cetera. And then ultimately you try to bring them to these parks. But what's interesting about this is that they're all related, right? They all kind of related. They all need to be, they're all, they're all part of this, you know, Disney ecosystem, if you will. And what's interesting about that is, you need the funnel to point to the park, right? You need all these funnel to be pointing to the park. Yet at the same time, the media business is slowly decaying away. So at some point, they need to be replacing that exposure to the customer with new technology, like such as streaming. But at the same time, that streaming technology, to your point, it's, you know, it's, uh, I mean, we are in the early innings of streaming business, but, um, Maybe we can explore this uh, next, but um, it might not be replacing the revenue income that media segment was bringing in through a traditional method of distribution. Yeah, right. And and I I think the 
I want to be clear that the media business from an operating standpoint is still more profitable than the parks, right? But that may not hold true in the future. And, you know, the parks brought in $1.3 billion increase from 2017 to 2019. Um, the media business only grew by $300 million in operating profit. And that is including a lot of the Fox acquisition. So <clears throat> I think we're going to see the media business slowly decline. And then, you know, the, the reason that they spent more money, they made more money in the theme parks was they just raised the price. So, you know, how much longer can they raise the price at the parks, right? It's still a very profitable, you know, uh, business line, but it can't go on forever, right? In that, in that setup. So, you know, they, they can't just keep raising the price 7% a year. It'll get out of hand very quickly. Um, so, but I, I do think that this is an interesting setup, right? That we've kind of talked about here is that, you know, we're we're now trying to manage this business and trying to project where things are going to move, right? And how much of this Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, Hulu Plus streaming model is going to kind of fit into this? Uh, it remains to be seen. Um, so let me let me finish the last two segments of the business, and I think these are kind of eye opening numbers also. Um, so the, um, you know, the, the, the segments of the, of the studio business, you know, generated $10.10 billion in 2018 and $11.1 billion in 2019. Um, and this was broken down into three areas, theatrical release, home entertainment, and TV streaming on demand, right? So the theatrical release went from $4.3 billion to $4.7 billion. So that included some of the Fox assets coming out as well. Home entertainment went from $1.6 to $1.7 billion. So home entertainment, remember, is DVD and Blu-ray. So they're still making $1.7 billion off of plastic <laughs> plastic discs that they're selling to people, right? That's Which amazing. Which, you know, which, which is people forget, oh, that those things exist. But yes, the people are spending money on that stuff, right? And so this is also a part of their business that they are, was very, very profitable that streaming is going to eat into, right? They're cannibalizing their own business line and Disney Plus doesn't generate this kind of revenue yet, right? So although they have a lot of people signed up, it's, it's not there yet. Um, and then TV streaming on demand is... 4.1 to 4.6 billion dollars. So it's it's still a fairly big chunk. But the interesting part of this the studio business that I was kind of eye-opening was their operating expenses and SGNA went up significantly. So even though they had 1 billion dollars more in revenue, their operating income declined by 400 million dollars from 2018 to 2019 from 3 billion to 2.6 billion. So so this is kind of that lumpy business that we're talking about, right? That they're investing this year. They may be making movies this year that they release next year. They had a good year of 2018 with Avengers movies and things like that. And then those movies kind of go away, right? And, you know, so they have a lumpy business segment here that, to be honest with you, was probably their best year ever in the history of the, you know, of the movie making business. And it still only generated... 11 billion dollars for them as you know as a 200 billion dollar company the 11 billion dollars is only you know one seventh of their revenue right so their money is coming in from media networks and coming from the things that uh you know in the parks mm -hmm. 
So operating income actually declined. Um, they had an increase in amortization after they purchased um, Fox, uh, which is not surprising because they have to amortize those um, those assets. Um, and but they also had a big uptick in four live action titles that didn't exist in 2018. Um, those are the Lion King remakes, the Aladdin remake, and so on. Um, and then the, the last segment of the business that I want to talk about is the DTCI, the direct to consumer and international, which is actually a, a loss making business at this point. Um, and so in 2018, um, their revenue was 1.3 billion. It went up to 2.7 in 2019 due to Fox ads tripled almost from 1.3 to 3.5 billion subscription fees went from 700 million to 3 billion, but the expense went from 3.4 billion to 9.3 billion. Uh, so they lost 1.8 billion in this, in this business. Now, a lot of this is the launch of Disney plus they're, you know, doing a lot of stuff and they're now investing in things like new shows and getting a lot of, you know, new programming that's going to come to Disney plus. So it kind of makes a lot of, um, you know, th 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 this is part of that ramp up period, which we would expect to see, uh, you know, they're leveraging up, right? So eventually the this investment will decline or stay steady and then you'll see a lot more revenue as more people subscribe right going back in reverse the media business has you know they've they can reduce their expenses because you know people are subscribed they're not really cutting their cable um subscriptions there's a core you know competence of business that they have in this in the cable mess but you know but that will slowly decline and then we will see a point where the expenses become too much and they can't cut enough to even keep profitable, right? So initially they can cut, they can raise fees. Eventually that, you know, that won't be enough because the subscriber losses will be too significant to offset it. Um, so the question is, can they ramp up fast enough into the Disney plus side of the house to make it worthwhile? Um, yeah, I think, um, it's interesting. The streaming business is interesting. I, it's you know, it's just beginning. When did they start reporting on the segment? Sorry. So they've only put it in the subscription fees section, which is three billion dollars. But remember that also includes Hulu, um, and it's a, including um, ESPN and Disney Plus. And it, I, I want to say that Disney Plus. They were booking revenue last year also, so that some of that is included in this number. Um, but I think we'll see this number become a lot bigger. But I think we're also going to see, I mean, we, we haven't even talked about the parks were basically shut down for two months. So there's going to be a huge loss of revenue there. Um, and actually, we'll see this um, when we talk about the balance sheet here in just a minute, um, that Disney had to go and get out a loan, right, in order to basically cover expenses. Um and, you know, so th th there's a lot of things that are c coming on with this business that I'm going to be interested to see going forward, right? We're going to see a different model, you know, because of COVID. Um, I think people are going to come back. I'm not worried about the long-term impact of it. But what I am worried about from the Disney standpoint is what is going to happen to this business with the media business, right? As that slowly declines, you know, I don't know that Disney Plus is going to be enough to offset it, right? Because you had people paying for cable that weren't even watching your your stuff and you were getting a lot of money off of them. So now what happens? So 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, maybe I, I just want to bring up a, a couple of interesting kind of related concepts that I've been reading about recently uh, from Clay, Christ- uh, Clay Christensen. He wrote about the, the innovator's dilemma and kind of the S-curve and all these things, but a couple of things that I want to bring out here, which is the value network. He talks about value ne- network extensively in his book. And effectively what that is, is when you have a new innovation, disruptive innovation coming in, you have to, in order for it to be effective, you have to have this entire value network in play. You can't have a streaming business fit into the existing paradigm of, of cable companies. It's a whole new way of, of distribution and the whole new way of, of delivering content. Therefore, you need a new value network to support this. And, you know, that, that, that starts off with like different cost structure. And I think we're going to see, uh, I mean, that we are seeing that here, right? Maybe we're, we're seeing initial innings of it. We, it's, it's hard to tell, right? These infancy kind of industries and how it will be morphed in the future. It's very hard to tell from the, from the current standpoint. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, from, it's hard to judge the future with just looking at a very myopic view of 2019 number or 2018 number. We have to think about it more, you know, we have to think about it from the perspective of, okay, what is this going to look like? And we have to have a little bit of creativity and, and imagination, um, discipline, imagination to think about the future. But in terms of the long-term viability and how this is going to disrupt the media industry, I think it's a, I think it's a, a very important one to really nail for, for, for Disney. Um, I mean, it's like you have to, one of the things why Amazon has, was, was so successful is that they're able to disrupt themselves constantly, right? They're able to disrupt themselves, invest in new industry, invest in new, new segments, even though perhaps in the future they weren't making a ton of money, they were investing for the future. And so how this will shake out, it's very hard to tell. Um, but it doesn't mean that as an investor, we should rule them out as a bad business, right? right? It's just something that we have to keep an eye on to see how this will evolve in the future. Well, I mean, I, I think your biggest thing here is it's as value investors, it's about the price you pay, right? <clears throat> and that's the big part of this that we need to know is at 20 times free cash flow for a business that's not really growing, that's really not that exciting, right? Um, you know, and, and you have parts of the business that are shrinking. I don't think the subscriber model that they're proposing is actually, it's more of a defensive play than it is a a better revenue stream, right? It's It's actually a worse way of making money, right? If they subscribe 100 million people, to you know to Disney Plus and they're charging them $10 a month which they're not even charging them yet um you know they they're generating about 12 billion dollars right well their media networks generate 27 billion dollars so it's it's not even a it, 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 it's not even the best setup right and in 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 fact they're going to have to spend a lot of money just to make Disney Plus stay competitive Right, even though they have a giant back catalog of stuff, people may not stick around if there isn't new stuff that keeps coming on board. Right, so you know the, the, this is the part of the thing that is it's almost too uncertain to understand what is going to happen in the future. Right, I am not in certain what's going to happen to this company because as the media cord cutting, cable cutting, you know, stuff goes on, 
where does Disney have the core of their, their business, right? The media business was before Bob Iger, they were building this media empire in, you know, when they bought Capital Cities ABC and they were, you know, slowly growing that, right? That was the part of the business that was in the 90s was was bringing in stable earnings for them. And then the parks and the studio business and all of these other things kind of really took off. So Iger's model of Disney Plus, which is not a bad thing for them, is 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 a defensive play, I would argue, more than it is an offensive play. Right. They're trying yeah. to keep keep Netflix out of out of out of at, at bay. And it may end up costing them their media network business. So they have to make their money on the parks. They have to make their money on merchandising and other areas in order for this to work long term. Which brings me to an interesting point. I mean, it might be the case that they realize this already, right? And they're seeing numbers come in and come in and, and it turns out perhaps that streaming business may not be as profitable as they hoped. And perhaps that is the realization. What is interesting though is this new transition in leadership that happened recently, right? Bob Iger stepped down. He's He's currently, I think, still a chairman, but he's not running the company on a day-to-day basis. The new guy that came on board, right? He came from, he was a CEO. He was running the parks. Yep. Now he's he's at the at the helm for the for the entire uh, umbrella company of Disney, and so perhaps they realize that, and that's why you know we we put this guy, you know, as a captain. What do you think about it? I mean, it's speculation at this point. Well, I mean, I I do think that there's a um, there's a component of that, right? The meat, the parks business is their biggest line. They want to make sure that that is successful. Bob Iger kind of brought Disney plus to a point where it was successful. Right. I, I mean, you know, the thing about Disney, like I, I I'm, you know, pretty familiar with their history as a company. Right. And in, you know, even as late as the 1980s, you know, the Michael Eisner was still approving cartoons that were going on to Disney afternoon, like the gummy bears TV show was, was approved by up at the CEO level. Right. That in capital investment was being done at the CEO level and the um, the investment for the Beauty and the Beast theatrical production that was produced here in Houston. Um, you know, um, Michael Eisner was flying to Houston every week because they were spending 14 million dollars on this theater production before it went to Broadway. Right. Now, you compare that now to how much money they're spending on capital expenditures. Right. And this is the kind of, you know, paradigm shift here is that things are being shifted in towards like the CEO level is now becoming parks. It's becoming all of these other areas of the of the business. So they're going to they're going to go towards where the money is coming in. And I, I think the studio slash movie aspect of Disney may be transitioning now to the parks as being their their cash cow, right? Which makes sense um, because that's the the part of the business that they can attract a lot of people. Um, you know, they have a ninety percent occupancy for their parks year round, um, and they have, you know, guests are willing to spend more and money more money every year. So it makes sense for them, right? But when then you look at the the rest of the business, I mean, I'll, I'll briefly mention the cash flow and the balance sheet because you know we're running long already. Um, you know the you know the company generated about 5.9 billion in net cash flow from operations down from 14.2 billion and then when you take into their 
property, plan, and equipment, um, they only generated about $1.1 billion in free cash flow in 2019 and 9.8 in 2018. So a lot of that was due to acquisitions and spending money on things and, you know, other aspects of their business. But this is not a business that is a, it's a $200 billion company that's generating $1 billion in free cash flow, right? And let's even call it nine and a half billion is roughly what I've calculated the average is. That's not great. Like for a company that's, you know, is this large and that has this much. Now, if you were telling me that they were a hundred billion dollar company, I'd be like, yeah, this is a lot more interesting, right? But then you also have on top of that, a lot of uncertainty in their business. They just added $38 billion for Fox. They took out another $13 billion for just to keep their balance sheet afloat because of COVID. This is not a great setup for them, right? In the future, right? The parks business got significantly disrupted. And then imagine next year they have another COVID outbreak. They have to shut it down for another month or two. You know, where does this lead for a company like this? Now, just because they have a, a great business and they have a very profitable setup doesn't mean that they can last through anything, right? A significant shutdown of the parks could mean, you know, let's not forget that th theatrical distribution basically shut down. Um, you know, the COVID was basically a, a, you know, a killer for everything except their streaming business, right? The media networks too were, you know, that's a dying industry anyway. So it's hard to tell, you know, if it was a good thing or a bad thing for them, but you know, the, the ad supported affiliate fees, you know, revenue model is, is, is changing. This is a completely new business in, in many regards, right? So trying to do a discounted free cash flow to say what this is look like in the future is very, very hard for me. Right. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I just to harp on that. I mean, one of the requirements to do free cash flow analysis is that you're able to project out to the future what the cash flow is going to be and you discount that back. If that is hard to do or impossible to do with reasonable confidence, then you shouldn't do it because it's going to be wrong anyway, right? Yeah. Even with, even with you know, relatively accurate, you know, modest assumptions, people get it wrong all the time. Like with uncertain businesses like streaming business and, and, and the dying media business, and the park's uncertainty near term, it, it's going to be very difficult, like you said. That, and that makes sense. Yeah, I just can't get around the fact that, like streaming business, like what what is that going to look like? I mean, we're seeing not great numbers right now. And to your point, it might be a completely different business. Like the cost structure might be completely different. Like it could be a completely different business altogether, right, in, in the yeah. future. And yeah. Well, it's hard to kind of, I mean, I, I think just, just to wrap this up, because I think we've gone <clears throat> on pretty long about this. I don't know, you know, five years ago, if you asked me about Disney, I would say, you know, the future looks really good. Um, you know, five, six years ago, they were trading it. Like you could have bought them for $20 a share, uh, or I, like seven or eight years ago, you could have. So they've, they've seen a significant run up in their business since then but then everything's kind of been flat for a while because you know even though they're generating more money and they have a lot of mind share they're not really translating that into free cash flow right and so you know you you expanded their share base by 
you know, 160 million shares, you know, significant dilution, you know, 10% dilution for the company. I'm not excited about a company that's going to have to continually spend money to defend its its asset base, right? You know, to, to defend its position, right? There, there are lots of barbarians at the the media gate, and they have to kind of keep spending money every year to keep them going, even though they have this giant back catalog, and they have all of this money that they can generate. Still, not enough, I don't think, because <clears throat> I don't think there's going to be a winner in this place. Right, Amazon Prime is not a significant player in the media space. Netflix is not really profitable. They're spending all of their money just to acquire, you know, new assets. And I I think that'll just continue to go on, right, forever. So I don't know how this works for Disney, you know, unless, you know, somebody goes bust, you know, or they can just suddenly start charging $20 per month for for Disney Plus. You know, it's going to be hard for me to see this long term you know yeah maybe it, it will ultimately end up with different business model perhaps or it might yeah. be that the pricing will go up it's you know wait and see at this point okay um great uh we kind of did a non-conventional way of analyzing company but i thought this was really good really interesting way to look at it hari so i uh, thought was good Awesome. Well, uh, we kind of went, ran a little bit uh, longer than usual. Uh, thank you guys for sticking through all the way uh, to the end. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Um, and as usual, just a couple of housekeeping items once again. If you want us to take a look at any company that you would like us to look at, you know, please send us an email at info at valueinvestor.org and also the Slack channel uh, as well as the checklist. If you'd like access to those two things, please email us again at info at valueinvestor.org. Awesome. Thank you guys for sticking towards the end, uh, through the end. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and I hope to see you guys in the next episode. Thanks. Thank you.